you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the, world. in the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate you guys coming by. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we bring you the smartest people, the brightest minds, the people who have lived amazing lives and told amazing stories and lived to tell them, I guess, maybe is something to fall back there on. And they bring their stories to you, which, as I always say, are the uh, stories are the owner's manual to life. The CEOs, the billionaires, the White House presidential advisors. We've got another one on later today. Governors, Congress members, U.S. ambassadors, astronauts, TV and Pulitzer Prize winners in print. You know, just all the smartest people are on this damn show, except for me, of course, because clearly I just, I don't know. I, I'm in the idiot who bought the mic and called it a show, and now it's a thing after 15 years. Anyway, guys, please support the show. Realize that uh, we deliver that wonderful, concise, syrupy data we call the Chris Voss Show that can change your life and give you the Chris Voss Show glow. It rhymes. It's like a lyric. So I don't know. I don't know where I'm going on a Monday. But we have an amazing author on the show today. But before we get to him, refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Goodreads.com forward slash Chris Voss. LinkedIn.com forward slash Chris Voss. Subscribe to that big, crazy LinkedIn newsletter and the 130,000 group on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is killing it over there. Go to, what is there? Chris Voss YouTube. There's Chris Voss 1 on TikTok and ChrisVossFacebook.com to find all the wonderful stuff we do over there. I was excited to talk to this gentleman because he's has a brilliant mind. He's a multi-book author. His latest book came out June 30th, 2023, called The Mistakes That Make Us, Cultivating a Culture of Learning and Innovation. Mark Graben is on the phone. Uh, on the phone. He's on the show, live on the show. He's not even on the phone. He's on the show, and he's on with us today. And uh, I think this book, The Mistakes That Make Us, I think it was written by my father. No, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. I had to get in there. <laughs> Mark is an author, speaker, and consultant whose latest books is available right now. Out. He is the author of the award-winning book, Lean Hospitals, Improving Quality, Patient Safety, and Employee Engagement, and others, including measure, Measures of Success, React Less, Lead Better, Improve More. He serves as a consultant through his company, Constancy, Inc., and is a senior advisor for the technology company, Kinexus. Yep. He hosts podcasts, including, including lean blog interviews and my favorite mistake, which is, I think, what my dad also refers me to. There you go. Welcome to the show, Mark. How are you? I'm doing great, Chris. It's great to be on with you. And tell you've been doing this a long time when you, you fell back into on the phone with us today, right? Yeah. So on the phone with us today is, uh, yeah. And uh, caller number 15 gets uh, tickets to Leonard Skinner. Welcome to the show, Mark. Give us your dot coms. How can people find you on the interweb, sir? Yeah. They can find the book, mistakesbook.com. Uh, mm-hmm. My personal website, a little harder to spell, markgraben.com, G R A B A N. And I, I can also be found on LinkedIn. Thankfully, my name's unique enough. There's one other Mark Graben, I believe, in the U.S. 
Ah, you might have the same issue I have, but I'm the cool one. So, Mark, give us a 30,000 overview of your book. Well, it's a book that was born out of and inspired by the podcast that you mentioned, My, my Favorite Mistake. Hmm. And after hosting that, you know, it was a pandemic project. And after hosting that for a while, I realized there are some amazing stories from some incredible people. And there's a lot of overlap, you know, types of people you were describing, you know, come on your show, Chris, to sitting members of Congress, entrepreneurs, business owners, pro athletes, like people who have really reached like the top of their fields and their professions. And guess what? They make mistakes too. Mm. And the ones, the ones who are cool enough and, you know, humble, you know, strong enough to come and admit that they've made a mistake and to share their story. And, you know, we, the, the, the theme of the podcast and the book is really about celebrating learning from mistakes of realizing mm. we all make them, you know, people aren't successful, I think, because they've avoided mistakes. If anything, they've made more mistakes, but they've learned from them and they've avoided repeating them. And, and the book is a guide for leaders, business owners, managers who want to create that kind of environment in their company. There you go. You know, learning from mistakes is so important because the, I, you know, fool me once. What was the great George Bush quote? Fool me twice, fool me once. But anyway, just joking. Shame on me. Yeah. Oh, shame on whatever. <laughs> yeah, he really botched it. But the uh, fool me once thing, you know, shame on, shame on me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what I hate is making him twice in an error because you're like, how did I? I knew not to do that, but I did that again. I did that wrong. So there you go. So what, what for you, you said this was born out of the podcast uh-huh. and, and COVID. Is there a backstory there as to why you created that other, that podcast name per se? And did, and COVID had something to do with it? Well, the name, then, and, and looking back at it, I think it was a mistake to call the podcast my favorite mistake because I'm a big Sheryl Crow fan. And that song oh. is, you know, one that, that, that I know really well. It's a great song mm-hmm. uh, by her. Not a mistake to call it my favorite mistake because I could get sued for it. Like, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm pretty <laughs> certain you can't copyright or trademark a song title. Mm. So I'm okay using the title. But it created a search and SEO nightmare because if someone were to go to Spotify and type in the words, my favorite mistake, they're going to find the Sheryl Crow song. Yeah. And it's harder to find my podcast. So maybe, you know, it should have been our favorite mistakes or something like that. I outsmarted myself, maybe. <laughs> there you go. And but, and did you start it under the, the dense cloud of COVID then? Yes. So, you know, I working as a consultant, I, I worked, worked mostly with healthcare organizations. So I was traveling mm-hmm. a lot, visiting and working with the health system in North Carolina. And you know, we knew the pandemic was coming and we're, you know, like, oh, then, then that week hit where nobody was traveling anymore except idiots like me and the airport was empty. And, you know, we thought, well, we'll see you in a couple of months. Well, you know, it, it was longer than that. But so I was home and trying to do what I could remotely. And I've been podcasting since 2006 and it's, it's a pretty niche podcast. But, you know, you, you podcast long enough, PR people, you get on these lists and they start pitching all sorts of guests to you. And one of them was Kevin Harrington, who was one of the sharks on season one of the show Shark Tank. And I thought, oh, my God, I would love to meet him. I would love to interview him. My podcast, you know, a theme of lean blog interviews is too niche. And so I went back and forth with a couple of PR people. What do you think about a show focused on learning from mistakes? And they thought, that sounds great. Kevin Harrington 
thought that sounded great. And, and he led the way by being the very first guest. And he told a story that you know was a, a mistake that could have put his infomercial business completely under. You know, the oh, fact wow. that he was willing to share that really set, I thought, a great example and a great tone for the whole series. That is awesome. So you you have you've had the other podcasts for longer, lean interviews, and I think a few others I see here. Yeah, two thousand six, I started one called Lean Blog Interviews. Back when I was interviewing people over the phone or through mm -hmm. Skype, people were having to That's download good. download MP three files to their MP three <laughs> player. But yeah, I started doing that podcast. It's focused on you know, like my professional background is is rooted in something called lean manufacturing or lean management that's basically an offshoot of Toyota business practices. So manufacturing companies, startups, hospitals use those methods. And, and there's this culture of learning from mistakes at, at companies like Toyota. That's kind of the overlap and the bridge to the focus here on learning from mistakes. Ah, there it's you not, go. A, not a new topic for me. There you go. So uh, tell us a little bit about your upbringing. How did you grow up? How did you get into the business you're in, et cetera, et cetera? So I grew up in, in the Midwest, born in Ohio, but really raised in the Detroit suburbs. My, my dad worked 40 years at General Motors as an electrical engineer. So, you know, growing up, and especially like in the 80s, the question was generally, where, where's your dad work? Nowadays, it could be either parent. But, you know, does your dad work at GM, Chrysler, or Ford's? As people in Michigan put an S on the end of Ford. My dad was a GM. So I was really influenced by being around the auto industry. And, and that's where I started my career as an industrial engineer at a greasy, grimy General Motors plant in my hometown. It probably took a couple of years off my life, both physically and mentally, oh, wow. <laughs> working in that environment to start my career. There you go. And so you, you, how did you get to where you are today? You've, you've got a, basically some other things you do. You do speaking, consulting articles. Mm -hmm. Tell us about some of the services you do for people there. Yeah. So as, as things evolved, I had an opportunity to do consulting independently. So I started off doing consulting, you know, through other firms. First book was published in 2008 called Lean Hospitals, as, as you mentioned, and that opened up doors to do consulting and speaking and coaching really as, as an individual in organizations. So really, you know, it's management consulting focused on quality improvement, process improvement, just helping the hospital be a better hospital using lessons from disciplines like industrial engineering, my MBA education, my experience in manufacturing companies. That sounds weird. To the people mm -hmm. in hospitals, say, well, wait, wait, we're going to learn something from Toyota, but you know, there's <laughs> there, there's a lot to learn. So being able to apply that has been you know, it was a bit of a surprise. That wasn't my intent for my career, but I was able to take care, take advantage of some opportunities to to go in a new direction and, and try to help people in healthcare. There you go. So give us some more tea sounds of what's inside your book and uh, what it entails. Uh, maybe some of the stories that you had in it that you like. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of stories from podcast guests. There's stories from my own work and career. So, you know, at first the book I thought was just going to be a collection of stories from my guests. But then, you know, as I, I was writing and my editor really encouraged me to weave in some of my own experiences. And in particular, the technology company, software company Kinexus that I've been involved with for over a decade, where that's an example of a company that's really small really tech-focused. It's not like Toyota, but Kinexus is very intentionally built a culture 
of learning from mistakes, a culture where it's safe to speak up and admit a mistake, where leaders, including the CEO, co-founder, lead by example. They admit mistakes. That gives permission for others to admit mistakes. And when that happens, the, 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 the response is never punitive or to, to mock or embarrass or belittle people. There's this really constructive focus on, yeah, it, it sucks to make a mistake. But like you said, Chris, let's not make that same mistake again. Let's learn from it. So the book really you know, shares a lot of those practical stories and some of those practical tips for how people can build that culture of what a lot of people call psychological safety of basically, mm-hmm. do you feel safe to speak up at work or not? And, and what are some of the key tips to help people feel safe? It really comes back to those two key things. As a leader, demonstrate and model those behaviors, including saying, I was wrong, I made a mistake, and encourage other, others to do the same, and then reward your employees when they follow your lead. It's kind of simple, but it's still, I think, pretty rare to see that, but it's a, it's a solvable problem for sure. Building yeah. that culture. Cause people are going to make mistakes. Of uh, people are going to miss things. And you know, as long as they correct, as long as you've got an organization that's, that's a learning organization, you know, you, you learn from mistakes and yeah. that's one of the things that people do, especially as entrepreneurs and as companies, yeah. you know, as you're trying to resolve a problem or create a pr- thing like the iPhone, you're going to, you know, it's complex. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to hit dead ends. You're going to have all sorts of issues. And, you know, you just can't fire everybody every time that they, right. they make a mistake or you have an empty office probably. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, there's, an old, there's an old story. I remember, I think Tom Peters told it. And I can't remember if it was from IBM or HP, but it was one of, for one of those big top companies at the time. And, and, and the vice president or someone under the CEO had done a deal and done some sort of kerfuffle that had lost like $11 million or $12 million or something. And so upon discovery of it, and and uh, he decided to go into the CEO's office and tender his reg- resignation. He's like, I just cost the company a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Here's my resignation. You probably want me to go now. And the CEO said, no, we, we don't want you to go. We just spent 11 or $12 million educating you yeah. on what not to do. So we've invested heavily in your education. We're not need yeah. <laughs> to lose you after all this. And, and, and that might have been IBM, or they, there's a version of that story that traces yeah. back, and I included this in the book, back to IBM founder mm. Thomas Watson. That's who it is, uh, yeah. Of, of whatever sum of money, probably adjusted for inflation, it was $11 billion in today's dollars. But that was. <laughs> but the quote was something like, you know, why would I fire that person? We've just spent all this money educating them. Why give that education to a competitor? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. So is there a personal experience where you made a mistake that led to an unexpected learning opportunity or innovation? Yeah. I mean, that, that happens, that happens a lot, especially when, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to innovate or when you're trying to do new things or, or mm-hmm. even, you know, making a career decision. I mean, there's a lot of guests on my favorite mistake, who've told a story where their favorite mistake was a career choice. That That's kind of true for me. One of my favorite mistakes, mm-hmm. I took a job coming out of MBA engineering program at MIT in mm-hmm. 1999. I took a job at Dell Computer. If you remember mm-hmm. then, I mean, they, Michael Dell was on the cover of every business magazine. Nobody would have said that's a mistake. Kind of like the old story. No one, get, no one ever gets fired for, for choosing IBM. Nobody would have accused me of making a mistake to go work at Dell Computer. Mm-hmm. But you know, after some time there, I did start thinking maybe this was a mistake just in terms of wow. cultural fit, 
you know, it was a smaller company than General Motors. It was like one tenth the, the the employees, but it was still a big company. And you know, so I started thinking about you know moving on, and you know, I, I had a great experience there. But that opened a couple of key doors. So one that brought me to Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. That gave me an opportunity then to meet the founder of a software company. That was the first tech company that I ever worked for. So I left Dell to join that startup. And, you know, I don't regret taking the Dell job, but I was able to turn that mistake into a a newer, better opportunity that I wouldn't have had if I'd gone back to Michigan. And then secondly, and most importantly, and on a professional and a personal side, I met my wife because I took that job to go to Austin, Texas. And 22 years later, she still puts up with me. There, there you go. See how that, that whole one mistake led to another. And led I don't know, a lot of as long as she doesn't look at you as her mistake, you'll be fine. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting how these things play out and, and how we recover from them. You know, it's, it's when you're building something, whether it's a company, teams, everything else, there's a million mistakes you're going to make technically when you really think about it. You know, was it, you know, the old story of Edison making what, like 10,000 yeah. tries to make the light bulb or something he said i haven't failed mm-hmm. i've learned ten thousand ways that didn't work something yeah. like that yeah he even had a shop burned down one time mm-hmm. so there's the question the question i had for you was how can an organization measure the impact or success of fostering a culture mm-hmm. that embraces mistakes how do you measure that you just you just <laughs> just have a pile of mistakes on the floor well you, i mean there's a couple of things you can do one is you know you, you can you know, you, you can use different tech platforms to like literally create a log and a database of mistakes mm-hmm. and lessons learned. Like you, mm-hmm. if you wanted to, you could keep track. Now, I think being mindful of mistakes that you make is, I think, a healthy habit. It, it takes some of the edge off of, you know, feeling bad about making mistakes. And like not to be flippant about it, but I think it's just good to be aware of like... <laughs> You know, I call this out. I, I was wrong. I made a mistake. I was wrong about that. It's just that's a fact, right? And then, and, and I think trying to figure out in, 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 how do we move forward with the learning helps us not dwell on the past. So I think logging mistakes can be really a positive thing. You could literally count them. I think there's other indirect ways of coming about it where, again, a key contributor to a culture of learning from mistakes is a culture of psychological safety. There are some really well-designed and and validated surveys that Mm -hmm. you could administer across different teams and sort of like gauge a level and compare that against benchmark companies like yours. This is something that as a consultant, I can take organizations through. Like you can survey people and, Mm -hmm. and look for trends or patterns in different parts of the company of where is that culture of psychological safety strongest that would probably point to a good culture of mistakes. And there's there's a lot of research, and it's my own experience. Teams with a higher level of psychological safety will outperform other teams, end of story. It's a really, mm-hmm. it's not a nice to have. It's like just a critical core piece of an organization's culture. Nice, nice. And so that's, that's probably some way where they can use learning from mistakes to foster innovation, I guess. Absolutely. Because, you know, if, if you think of the alternative of people feeling safe to admit mistakes or to say they were wrong and that, you know, we tried something and it didn't work out, that happens if you're being a scientist or an experimenter or an entrepreneur. <clears throat> if you punish that, if you stifle that, 
all kinds of dysfunctional things happen. People will hide and cover up their mistakes, which means we don't learn, or they will, you know, drag a company <laughs> down by, you know, continually just rationalizing and justifying, you know, their bad decisions. So, you know, the alternative <laughs> of, you know, a culture of blame and shame and punishment, you could probably survive that for a little while, but that's, that's really not the path to becoming a great world-class company. There you go. I, I saw that sort of uh, corporate blame and shame mentality with uh, when we launched our first multimillionaire company, my business partner had been working for a big blood lab firm. And, and so he, he knew how to get it in with them for our first contract. And he, the, the company lived in that blame sort of culture. In fact, they would write reports and email every meeting you would ever have or interaction you would have with someone, you would go write a report or some sort of email to try and devolve any sort of blame that could possibly come from whatever that was, you know, it was constantly covering your ass basically. And yeah. Lily had reached a point where people, that's all they were doing, like 75% of their day or something was just writing, you know, documenting things and spin stuff to, to if they wouldn't get blamed for stuff. You know, they even had at one point, I remember their, their company at one point had a, they had a timer and a, and a, and a, and a punching card, swipe card for their bathrooms so they could know how long you were in the bathroom for <laughs> that's, that's it was crazy. just like the most militant freaking you know office space ever everyone's backbiting everyone's gossiping and yeah and it's just it was like who could write the note the fastest after a meeting that would dissuade them from any sort of responsibility so yeah. in that in that vein is it important to try and figure out how to hire people that are self-accountable there's some people that that aren't into self-accountability and self-awareness yeah. Do you have to do you have to take that into account in your HR department? I th I th I think yeah that's a, that's an important point. Like I would think of you know we kind of could could brainstorm some behavioral interviewing questions that start mm -hmm. with that famous phrase. Tell me about a time when I think a powerful question is tell me about a time you made a mistake and what happened next. Right. Mm -hmm. So the thing I admire about my podcast guest Kevin Harrington in in, in episode one. Episode two was then U.S. Representative Will Hurd from Will Texas. And this he, line he was on that, our show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and so, you know, brilliant people, incredibly <clears throat> successful people. Not, neither of them, just to focus on the two, Kevin and Will, neither of them blamed others. Mm -hmm. They completely took ownership of what they did. You know, Will, Will's story was one where he lost his first primary runoff because he said basically that he didn't listen to his political consultants who <laughs> told him from their experience, and that's why he hired them, that, hey, a runoff is different than the initial election. So Will didn't blame them for not being more convincing or something. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I appreciate it. So I think if you're interviewing people and, and they tell a story where they admit a mistake, now, look, you don't want to hire people who are doing reckless things, but if it was, you know, if, if they had a reasonable business idea, a product idea, or a reasonable hypothesis, if you will, of, okay, if I do this, something positive will happen, and it turns out to be a mistake, I think taking ownership of that is key. You know, they may have stories about how their colleagues or leaders reacted to the mistake, and if their leaders reacted badly, that might be part of why they're looking to change jobs <laughs> and say, look, you know, you, you could come here 
and be part of a culture where, and I think there's two sides to this coin, right? Mm-hmm. We want to do things to prevent mistakes. Mm-hmm. There's a whole chapter in the book about preventing mistakes and what Toyota calls mistake proofing. Oh. And then as you're doing something new or being an entrepreneur, there, there's a chapter in the book also titled Iterate Your Way to Success. Mm. So here's the thing. Like we're not, we're not being flippant. We're not being reckless. The way to avoid big catastrophes is to make little mistakes early on and then have a culture of learning from that mistake instead of mm. feeling pressured to double down on the mistake. Right. Oh. So I think you can kind of draw this out, whether people have been individual contributors. If someone, if I were hiring a leader, I would ask that question in a different way. Tell me about a time one of your employees made a mistake and how did you handle that? You know, That's I think I think answers to those questions would be really telling. Because you know, you don't want to hire people who have maybe developed bad habits from other companies. I think that's why Southwest Airlines famously never wanted to hire people who worked at a different airline. Mm-hmm. And I think we, you know, could be careful that we, that we don't hire someone who has developed bad habits of even in, you know, hospitals, not too different than medical laboratories, perhaps, you know, there's this culture, this default sad culture, they call it naming, blaming, and shaming. And the fact that it rhymes doesn't make it any, any cuter or any better. So, you know, we don't want people who've spent too much time learning some of those bad habits. Well, it's so much lost productivity too, isn't it? Yeah. The, and, well, and, and, and you're misfiring and you're going down the wrong direction and road because you haven't fixed what the true problem is. Absolutely. So, yeah. yes, I mean, that's it, it'll drag down our ability to improve or, or to innovate when, when, like you said, as you were saying, Chris, a, a culture of CYA, a culture of blaming others. I mean, I think, you know, deflecting responsibility, I think, is a, a you know a good evolutionary survival trait that we've probably, <laughs> as humans, built up over a hundred thousand years. The people who survived were the ones who were able to effectively blame somebody else. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, if you can blame, if you survive and blame, you're able to blame somebody else. You know, if you're if you're doing parachute jumping, your parachute doesn't open. It's a little hard to blame anybody after that. But I don't know what that means. <laughs> Well, that, uh, that, that, but that's a great example where people are accountable for their own shoots. Yeah, there you go. Darwinism. Um, they are doing a lot of things to prevent a mistake. You don't want to, mm. if you die in a skydiving accident, there's no opportunity to learn from that and avoid repeating it. So there, there are certain go. things, again, where like parachute jumping, which I've never done, but giving medications to people in a hospital. Like you need to work really, really hard to design systems that make it really difficult to make mistakes that might harm or kill a patient, for example. That's true. That's true. You go in for a surgery and you come out with something missing that wasn't supposed to be missing. Yeah. In my case, they added something on. I don't know what that was. It sounded <laughs> funny in my head at the time. <laughs> a little off kilter today. So what do you see as the, based on your research and experience, what future trends do you foresee in business innovation and learning cultures? Well, it's kind of you to call what I do research, but I guess I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you've learned it. You've studied it. Well, I've I've studied it. I mean, I'm not not an academic, but, you know, I think as a practitioner and I've interviewed, you know, 250 people on the My Favorite Mistake podcast and and I've reflected on my own education experiences, what, what I would hope to see. Uh this this one well what i would hope to see is more organizations realizing the importance of psychological safety and learning 
from mistakes. Mm-hmm. That that they can learn from positive examples, not just uh, Toyota, but you know some of the best health systems have figured this out. When you create a culture where you you replace the naming and blaming and shaming with something more constructive, Violent? performance performance is better. Uh, you know, so this is, this isn't just this you know kind of you know woo woo touchy feely. This is a nice thing to do. Like it drives business results, and does, some, yeah. some of the other academics and. People who are doing more formal studies that I, that I've interviewed and read and learned from. I mean, the, the the connections are clear. Again, like it's just good business, and you know, I think over time, the competitive nature of of markets going back to Darwin, I guess, and survival. The companies that figure this <laughs> out are going to serve not just survive but thrive. Yeah, he had his finger on the pulse. He should have wrote your book, but he didn't. So that's his problem. Yeah, the uh, yeah, it's it's so important. You know, I, I learned a long time ago. I didn't have all the answers as a CEO in a company, and uh, but you know, being able to make mistakes quick. You know, what is Facebook's mantra? Break things fast. I think they they call it themselves. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, that, and, and that that kind of spreads through Silicon Valley. Break, mm-hmm. move fast, break things. Yeah. I yeah. Think Which. So they've done a lot. There you go. Talk to the folks in Miramar. The uh, so yeah, it's it's something people need to do, and I, I would agree with you. People need to hire for it. Mm-hmm. They need to pay attention to people who are self accountable. One of the problems we we seem to live in is this world of victimhood competition. And uh, I'm not going to point fingers at millennials and Gen Zs, but I am. And uh, you know, it seems like it seems like everybody's just not only going for the victimhood narrative like i'm not responsible and self-aware <laughs> to control my destiny the world is taking advantage of me in every sense and purpose but it's interesting that i created most of these scenarios and it seems like that just is so popular right now and you've got to I, I would think you really need to spend some extra time watching for those people coming through the the thing the the victimhood narrative people that are always trying to hang on somebody else well, I'm not going to take offense at any of that. I'm Gen X, so I don't know. Maybe I'll punch. Did I say? Did I say Gen X or Gen Y? No, no. You were saying Gen, Gen Z. Z and millennials. So I'm yeah, saying yeah. I'm, I'm not. Well, Gen X is the greatest. Yeah, we're the greatest yeah. generation. I'll, I'll, I'll punch up at the, uh, the boomers for a minute because sometimes there there are boomers out there that will you know say all kinds of ridiculous things and not want to take responsibility for <laughs> what they've said or what they've done. So I, you know, some of that is maybe more human nature than it is generational. I would agree with you there are certain aspects of our human nature that don't take self-responsibility so our self-accountability i suppose which i think is the same i don't know maybe i don't know i'm not a masseuse i'm not i'm not a wordsmith evidently on on a monday so final thoughts and pitch out to the audience as we go out on what you do there your services how people can onboard with you and mm-hmm. work with you consult with you etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah, well, thank you, Chris. So uh, again, people can go to markgraben.com if they want to learn about kind of the broader range of things I do as, as uh, you know, podcaster and an author, but then more directly with organizations as a coach, a trainer, a speaker, and a consultant. I would love to talk to people about ways I might be able to help them around a culture of learning from mistakes and a culture of improvement. If people are interested in the book, they can go to mistakesbook.com. Dot com. If they think buying the book might be a mistake, they can download a free chapter and they can try it out and they can see. Mistakes uh, are good though, so they should. Uh, they should just. They just buy the book. 
It's just not that expensive. But yeah. uh, here, here's, here's a pro tip, because on one of my previous books, and I think this is someone who with an agenda, they wrote a one-star review that said, you know, I there was nothing for me to learn from this book, so I threw it in the trash. And I'm like, that is not normal human behavior. That is not. And my no. pro tip is if you buy a book and you don't like it, Amazon will very easily give your money back, even if it's an electronic yeah. But mistakesbook.com slash chapter is a way for people to try that out. Or if they go to Amazon, you can click and scroll through and sample the book there as well. And and the podcast, if people want more free stuff for their ears, in addition to listening to the Chris Voss show, mistakespodcast.com is where they can learn more about that. You can find it wherever you're listening to or, or watching Chris's fun show here. There you go. The mistakes that make us are what my father calls his favorite mistake. Me. I don't know. He didn't do that. The mistake he made. No, I mean, he literally made you, you and your mom. Pretty much. Yeah. But I don't know. It's a, I don't know. It just sounded good as a joke in my head today. I mean, it so, might've been my mistake if you were adopted. So I, I hope I didn't step in up there. You know, it, it is kind of funny. My, I took years ago, one of those first early DNA tests. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mother took another one years later. And I don't know if I got a bad test or maybe they got the wrong saliva or I don't know if something happened. It was in the early days of it. And uh, my mother's had a test done that's completely different than mine. And she's very angry about it. And she wants me to redo my test. Could, it could be a lab mistake. So I, 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 could, I could have been switched at birth. You know, I was born in 68 when all the weird stuff was going in the hospitals. And, you know, it was in California, too. It was a weird time. So, but uh, I mean, I don't see being adopted as a downside. I have a lovely family, but uh, right. you know, there's a few siblings that I'd rather not be related to <laughs> that sadly they do look like me. So I'm pretty sure they're, but evidently as the first child, it's, I, I took all the most best parts of the womb out, the smartest, and the best looking, and I just left behind salvage for my, the rest of my uh, siblings. That's what I tell them. So they hate me. Anyway, on that uh, on that uh, side note, no, this is really important. People need to learn mistakes, have have self accountability. The one of the things we always had around my office, I'll I'll, I'll throw this story in for fun at the end, was one of our mantras of culture was the only the only the only stupid question is the unasked question. Hmm. So. Everyone needs to ask questions and making a culture where if you ask the question that you weren't sure about, that might make you look stupid. Hey, Chris, I know I went through training, but I still didn't get the part about which button blows up the machine. You know, that that's an important question to have asked because yeah. I've had people blow up a $30,000 machine and good. Yeah, that, that, that is a critically important part of that culture of psychological safety. Do, feel, do people feel safe asking questions mm -hmm. and, and not get yelled at? Well, you know, we, we trained you. Figure it out. You know, that's when, <laughs> that's when people get thrown out. You just can't retell me that? And so that, that really helped our culture where we, the only unasked question was the, the only stupid question was the unasked question. Mm -hmm. So please ask questions. Are you clear yeah. on everything? One of the things I would do too is I would, uh, when we would teach people how to do something like work a machine or whatever, let's just put it in a widget sense, we would explain to them how we came to decisions on how we decided to do their job for them or how the machine worked, et cetera, et cetera, or how we innovated a certain process or service or whatever. And 
by explaining them the thought process behind it, they actually sometimes would come back and go, you know, I, I thought of a better way to do this. Mm -hmm. Now, the way you're doing it is, well, a mistake, as you put it. Yeah. So, um, you know, those are some different techniques we use in culture to make those things happen. Mark. Mm -hmm. And final thought, sorry, when, when my mistake for interrupting, but I get excited about these things. Another important thing is feeling safe to disagree with the boss oh. in a constructive yeah. and respectful way, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can, you can do that in a respectful way. You just might get thrown out the second story window, but that's another thing. That's a, that's a callback joke for the show. <laughs> no, it's, it's you, you, and as a leader, you have to make sure that your people know that you have that that healthy judgmental style where you can allow them to make mistakes and you can you can allow them to grow because they've got to grow your organization has got to grow and that's so important so mark it's been wonderful to have you on the show today give us your dot coms where we want people to find you on the interwebs yeah so again markgraben.com mistakesbook Dot com. I, I invite people to connect or follow me on LinkedIn. You can just go search Mark Graben. That's the main social media place on the interwebs where I tend to be. There you go. Thanks so much for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss. Subscribe to the big LinkedIn newsletter, the 130,000 group on LinkedIn. Chris Foss won on the TikTok at E, Chris Foss, Facebook.com, and Chris Foss on YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.